0: The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender and equality. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Side. I'm Scott Kirk along with my co-host Lucas Sullivan. And today we're going to hear the second half of our interview with Columbus FOP President Jason Pappas. Plus, we'll discuss the LeBron James beef with Laura Ingram over her comments that athletes should just shut up and play ball. So stay tuned for a great show. There's been a little controversy regarding Fox News TV host Laura Ingram made a comment regarding NBA star LeBron James who actually was commenting on, um, his opinion of the, the president and uh, the current state of the country. And it politics. was the
1: car ride he and Kevin Durant were on.
0: It's actually a TV show. Yeah,
1: Kari Champion from ESPN. I think she's with ESPN. Yeah. And But you've got now LeBron and Kevin Durant talking in a car.
0: I tell you what, we do have audio of Laura Ingram's response to the blowback that she's gotten from her comments. And we also have a uh, response from LeBron commenting on her original comment.
3: I actually laughed first. And then I then I watched the video and I saw exactly how I was put off. Well, first of all, I had no idea who she is or, or what she does. do um, until... So she, she won in that case because now I know who she is. For her to go up there and say what she said, first of all, I mean, it's, I, I would have had a little bit more respect for if she would have actually wrote those words. I, yeah, she probably said it right off a teleprompter. But that's okay. It lets me know that, you know, everything I've been saying is it's correct for her to have that, that type of reaction. We will definitely not... Uh, shut up and dribble Um, I would definitely not do that I wish she would have did a little bit more fact-checking because I actually did finish high school and then the best thing she did is gonna help me is create more awareness so I appreciate her for even giving me even more awareness for me to sit up here in the greatest weekend of the NBA all-star weekend this is gonna talk about social injustice equality and why a woman on a certain network decided to tell me to shut up and, and dribble. So thank you. Whatever her name is, I don't, I don't even know her name.
0: Okay, so let's listen to, to Laura's response to it.
4: All the left and the media tech dogs can dish it out, can't they? But they sure can't take it. Last night, we played clips of NBA superstars LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and an ESPN co-host named Carrie Champion trashing Trump. I called those remarks barely intelligible, not to mention mm, ungrammatical, and last night, which is difficult to dispute, and the left erupted. Slate's piece was titled, In Insulting LeBron James, Laura Ingram proves James' point about racism. Oh, okay. It accused me of quote, something vile and racist. Almost all the stories accused me of dog whistle commentary, and many claim my line that LeBron should shut up and dribble was racist uh... what uh... i wrote a book fifteen years ago fairly well-known new york times bestseller called shut up and sing and i've been using variants of that title to call out political celebrities for fifteen years without regard for skin color where you came from what you do by the
0: way, including on this
1: show. Okay, so what do you think? I'm a Cavs fan. I'm a LeBron fan. I think LeBron handled his response perfectly and as well said as he could. Laura Ingram's got a show. She's got ratings to draw in. So unfortunately, that's what the world we live in now. It's about ratings. And so, you know, she found a way to attach herself to the All-Star game. And that was, there, there wasn't much going on during that week, besides the Olympics, sports-wise. So, sporting-wise, it's what people were talking about, thinking about. So, it was a way for her to get ratings. I think it's just one of those classic ratings-grabbing dust-ups that will now just go away. It's just another notch in that realm. I think this whole speaking out by athletes is a great thing because I think a lot of younger people know who LeBron is and they don't know who Laura Ingram is. And so, at least it's got them thinking about it, having conversations about it, and that's a good thing overall. The racism stuff Did you think that There were some Racial things in there
0: Well let me say this My opinion Has changed <clears throat> somewhat After hearing what she said And watching some other Footage of some of her Past shows She does Sort of do this Shut up And do whatever yeah, Shut up And entertain word. thing. Thing yeah. um, That is her That's her thing So it's not In all due fairness She didn't just Start with him So I don't know If you can make the argument That her intent Was racist I mean obviously No one knows What 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 she really feels or thinks, but at least like she says, she's an equal opportunity offender. However, I agree with you. I don't buy this premise that if you're an athlete, All you're supposed to do is just play sports and you're not supposed to ever express a political opinion. Like LeBron James is a human being, a grown man. He has political opinions. Well,
1: Remember when we were growing up, Michael Jordan would get hit all the time in the media and by those looking for help on social justice issues that he wouldn't speak out. And that was a big knock against him. And know Jordan's response was kind of like you know I just want to play basketball I want to what was his famous quote those people buy shoes too right that was his quote you know so he was a businessman business oriented and didn't care to dip his toe into that water and LeBron's trying to do both at least in this instance it looks like he navigated it pretty well it's kind of coming gone now except for the next time. Right. Fox does something that is accused of being racist again, which will probably happen today. So, it's good to keep having these conversations and an All-Star week man. The All-Star game is like, okay, you know, the players kind of goof around. It's kind of like a vacation. Right. Fans aren't as into it as maybe they should be or wanna be because it's sometimes just not that interesting. So, at least they're taking the time to talk about these important issues.
0: I think you're walking on very fragile ground when you start telling black athletes. and I'm, I'm just going to be real about it. Black athletes in particular that they should just be quiet and perform, entertain you, whether yeah. it be sports or in um, the music business, movie business or whatever. You know, the reality is, is a lot of people, it's never going to be a good time to talk about these issues. No, they, it, they're they never going to want to hear it. And so I think if an athlete chooses to use their platform to elevate an issue that they care about, that's their right to do that. And to say, well, because you're an athlete and you should just, you know, just be an athlete. To me, I think for some people, there's a tone, an undertone under there that basically, and we saw this, I think, more with the NFL players, but it was almost as if they were property. And so they were just expected because they were being paid well, that they shouldn't complain about anything and they should just run the ball and not really speak out and i i think that that's a condescending tone i I think just because you're an athlete doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to have an opinion about something and especially if you're a black athlete because the reality is the majority of, of black people african americans will never have the ability never have that platform so if you have it you know i'm not saying you're obligated to use it but for a lot of them they do feel like there's a duty to use that platform to you know to uplift people or to You know, to talk about injustice, inequality, and when somebody basically comes along and says where you should just dribble the ball, it's almost like saying, well, you know, you're not really, you know, we don't really care about your intellect or what you think or what you care about. We just want you to just run the ball.
1: Sure. But the other thing, too, LeBron, LeBron's story from where he grew up to what he has made himself into now is a story that everyone should like. Regardless Absolutely. if you're a basketball fan or a Cavs fan or not, or if you're a LeBron hater even, there are plenty of those out there just because you know of what he's done on and off the court and leaving Cleveland and everything like that. But this is a guy who was raised by a single mom in Akron, grew up in some rough neighborhoods in Akron, and has now turned himself into a mogul and is a father of three kids and speaks out on issues when he feels he needs to my goodness, the amount of things he's given back to the community and scholarships and funding colleges for hundreds of kids and wanting to do more, it's just a story that, you know, everyone should really like whether, and it doesn't matter what your perspective is. Right. Well, and I, if you don't, think her if you was, don't, then the only thing you can say is that well, then there's got to be some kind of racial issue because he's black. Because it's well, such a well, great I story, think,
0: and I think with this particular instance, because they were attacking Trump, and you know, I guess she didn't agree with that. However, Trump has personally attacked LeBron James, so I'm not really sure why. The, there's the double standard with it. But but yeah, I agree. I mean, all of that plays into it. But even if he grew up relatively comfortable, my question would be if it were another athlete, if it were, you know, Tom Brady or somebody, as long as you're consistent and she would get on TV and say the same thing to him. And I don't know, maybe she has, maybe she would. But I don't know. I think in general, athletes are people like anybody else and they are allowed to have political opinions Absolutely. just because they get paid to perform athletically doesn't mean that they should never be able to speak about that they don't agree with or feel passionately about. Now we're going to play part two of our interview with Columbus FOP President Jason Pappas. In our first interview, we covered a lot. He talked about the Westerville police officers that were killed in the line of duty. We talked about where are all the guns coming from in the city, Jump Out Boys, Black Lives Matter, and Excessive Force. So stay tuned for another great show and part two of our interview. Now a
2: couple of things I want to point out is a Again, like I said, is we don't tolerate misconduct as a union and clearly as an officer, which I still am today, we, we don't tolerate it. I have been vocal and in fact you'll see some stories coming out in the next uh, couple weeks about like Bryce PD. I don't believe that's professional law enforcement. That is the union and that is me calling out a situation I think is harmful to our community. I do not believe that they represent police officers well. I do not believe they represent our community well and if I could put an end to bad policing like that I most certainly would and that's a frustration for me as well because I do know that there are things out there that can be done better or eliminated entirely to make the community better but I don't have the ability to do do that
1: what's the story there with Bryce PD for people who may not
2: know so it's basically a, a revenue generating police force their sole existence is to generate revenue and to exist uh, for the purpose of existing and creating revenue to keep the the village alive if it weren't for the police department there's only a couple hundred people in that community if it weren't for the generation of revenue from traffic tickets they would never be able to exist mm-hmm. And so they prey upon uh, law-abiding, otherwise law-abiding good citizens who are driving through their community every day and issuing them civil citations so that they collect and report them to uh, collections bureaus and damage their credit and do other things to try to, to to generate revenue. And that's just wrong. We, as a law enforcement officer, our job is to make the community safe and protect people, not generate revenue. The courts and other people generate revenue that's not what we do. And so when I see situations like that, it aggravates me. And I want to take you back a little bit because I heard stories after the Ferguson, Missouri case that there were quotas, officers required to write so many tickets per day that is so inappropriate. When management starts putting quotas on people and telling you to go out and just issue tickets for the sake of issuing tickets, they're horrible results that come our way. And I think when you saw that explosion of frustration, that's the kind of things that build up and that is poor leadership. That is not, in fact, I would say that's not even leadership at all. That's just poor management. And so when we hear of bad policing, uh, when I hear of bad policing, it frustrates me to no end because that hurts our reputation and we don't get separated as this law enforcement agency is okay that one's bad it's police are doing this but in those particular cases they're being mandated by management to go out and issue citations for the sake of issuing citations and when that happens instead of being corrective meaning you know you pull someone over that maybe has a taillight out or a headlight out and you can warn them and say hey listen uh, go get your headlight fixed I'll give you 72 hours or whatever but you know get it fixed when that ability is taken away from an officer And they start to lose respect from within their community because they're no longer serving the community. Now they're just, quote unquote, you know, disciplining a community. And that's not the relationship that we want. We want to be able to go out and help. And that's what our focus should be. And so there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. And just one last point, if I could, seems to get left off the table here to some degree when we have these discussions. And that is if you Google, you know, prosecution of police officer, you'll see them, you'll find them. Uh, We don't tolerate misconduct. And I think you see that around the country that officers have been uh, prosecuted at different times. Now, we can have disagreements about whether or not an officer should be disciplined in a certain way or or charged with a crime, and you'll see us get involved in those cases. But at the end of the day, we don't tolerate that kind of criminal behavior or bad behavior. But we do enforce our collective bargaining agreements and make sure that we have due process given. And those are kind of hard things to follow sometimes for the the, the mom and pop coming and going. And it gets a little more complex than when I tried to break down here but simply stated i can't agree that good people can have grievances against the police while still having respect for them and i do believe that we don't tolerate misconduct within our own ranks
0: so how do we bridge that gap
2: Well, some of the things that we've tried to do um, is spend uh, a day or two at a time with the community uh, doing different use of force or shoot, don't shoot training scenarios and go through what the law says and what uh, our training takes us to. So like a a classroom session followed by a, a practical application. So let's say, for example... If you guys want to come out to the academy one day i'll set it up we'll go through a little q a session we'll talk about graham versus connor what the law says how we can do things and what it is to give you a mindset of what our training is then we'll go mm-hmm. through a little bit of a training period and then we'll actually go through some shoot don't shoot scenarios or use of force scenarios and then you have to react based on the training and the knowledge that you have at the time and so when we start to interact with people and develop relationships and they understand where we're coming from. Sometimes they don't like the law. They don't like what Graham versus Connor says, but that is the law. Uh, And so when you look at those standards and you start to understand each other and develop relationships, then all that other stuff just kind of starts to fade away and we start to develop a trust of one another. And then I think that's the only way. And that's why I've been so big about saying that the Division of Police for Columbus needs at least 200 more officers, because I truly believe, I'm guessing you've had some other guests who have talked about this. We don't have cops in neighborhoods like we once did, where we're just talking to mom and dad. We're stopping after school to talk to the kids. We're at the rec centers just hanging out. We go from run to run to run to run to run today, and we use these cruisers to get from point A to point B faster. That's true. That made us more efficient
1: in that regard. Let me jump in here just on that point before you go forward. The city, though, and the police chief does hold these community forums, these community meetings where they go to a rec center. They do. And they're literally officers just sitting at the tables. And anybody who sits down can talk about whatever issue they have or whatever gripe they have. Now, the complaint I've heard from the law enforcement side is hardly anyone comes to these meetings and the people who do come are the people who are law abiding and basically just want some things cleaned up in their neighborhood. It's none of the issues that we're kind of talking about here today.
2: Yeah, that's true. So the division does go out uh, on a regular basis and have those. But there's two things to keep in mind. And
1: it is true that they're not very well
2: attended. Not a lot of people come. Uh, The ones who do tend to be more of the civic minded people from the block watches and others who already have some sort of relationship with maybe the CLO from the neighborhood. But at the end of the day, those officers are there for that day. You won't find them Monday through Friday Mm. from three to six after school, hanging out, shooting baskets with the kids or picking up the, the baseball bat and doing batting practice. That's what I'm talking about. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. We no longer have the Police Athletic League where neighborhood children could go down and hang out with officers for three, four, five hours a night after they got their homework done and develop relationships with officers. Mm. Um, Those days are gone. The D.A.R.E. classes in Columbus are gone where you had officers in there being mentors to our youth and making sure that the relationships were developed. Things that happened organically are gone now and so primarily because of funding that's correct so as the division has continued to grow and the city has grown and not just the city of columbus but you know all of franklin county has been blessed with wealth of growth and so when you look at our budget today and the number of officers we have today from 10 years ago it's about the same but we have so many more people and so many less programs and so when you look at that yes i believe that has hurt us significantly in developing those relationships
0: and you think a, another 200 a
2: minimum officers. of 200 yeah. So I have a spreadsheet with a ch- you know, uh, a chart that basically shows where I believe all these people should be. And it's not just on the front end, which is when I say front end, I mean, you know, officers, front line officers with boots on the ground in the neighborhoods, developing relationships with people that really make a difference in those communities and finding resources to make that community better. That needs to happen. But on the back end as well. So, for example, we talked about uh, our homicide rate was the highest it's ever been last year. And so when homicides uh, start to accumulate, and let's say I get dispatched on a run and there's a homicide today and, it, and it's mine, it's my investigation. And then I start to investigate and two days later, I get another one. I now can't go back and start working on that first one again because now I have the most current one. And then a couple of days later, I get another one. Okay, so the person who committed that first homicide is now still out on the street. So if I can't get my first, as the whole saying goes, the first 48, if I can't get in there and figure it out and get a a warrant filed right away that person is loose to create more havoc and more homicides and so on the back end you have to have the support staff to be with the guys on the street to make sure that now we've got enough resources on the back end to make sure that we're locking up bad people and getting those bad people off the street so they can't commit more crime for the frontline officers it's symbiotic in that regard but it's not just about frontline it's also about the back line
1: I kind of want to shift away a little bit from these programs and procedures, which, you know, you raise a lot of great points, but an overarching point I hear from officers a lot. Let me know if you hear this, too, or if you think that it's an unusual statement. They say, how come there are no protests when a black person kills another black person? or when a young child is killed in a crossfire or gang violence. There's no protest. Where's Black Lives Matter? Where's People's Justice Project? And so I hear that from officers, and I wonder, we've asked some guests here about that, and I wonder, do you agree with that sentiment? Do you think that there needs to be more involvement on the community side of things? Because I hear a complaint, too, that from officers that it falls on police to just do everything.
2: I do believe there is a sentiment, and I do agree to some regard that law enforcement is asked to do a tremendous amount of, of things. Over the years, we have really increased training and responses to individuals with mental illness, and that's from state funding being cut and where we used to have some of our more challenging individuals and institutions are now on the street and creating problems. And our jails have kind of somewhat become a de facto mental health facility because there are a lot of people with mental illness creating crimes. And we're now tasked with that. Instead of bringing in mental health professionals or funding that program from somewhere else now, law enforcement officers are taken off the street to give uh, critical incident training or mental health training and how to de-escalate those kind of situations and deal with them. But the reality of it is those are stopgap measures. We can only get somebody off the street for a short period of time, but they're getting them to a medical facility or a mental health facility. But we don't have any ability to go beyond that for long-term treatment. And so we keep getting this recurring issue. So it takes a lot out. So yes, we are asked to do a tremendous amount today. And as far as I think is probably referred to a lot of those, uh, what I've heard is called black on black crime. I'm really not in a position to judge how crime happens. It's our job to prevent it and to prosecute those who commit it, wherever it is. And so that gets to be so complex because there are so many uh, factors that go into neighborhoods and where crime typically occurs. And we're going to talk about school funding, education, infrastructure, jobs, quality of life issues, most of which are way outside of anything that the Division of Police can accomplish. Those are resources when the city's giving uh, tax breaks or incentives for businesses to grow. Are they on a bus line? Are, they, are we doing the things that we can as a, as a community to make sure that people who are in a position where they're struggling and are otherwise vulnerable to go to a life of crime, are we doing those things as a community to support infrastructure so that doesn't happen? And if it doesn't and they do go to a life of crime, then my role is just then to either prevent the crime that's out there or to arrest and prosecute the person who committed it. How the jobs get made, how the education goes, the relationships within the family, whether or not the gangs are developing because there's a you know a, not a father in the neighborhood and they need the discipline, those things are well outside of what the Division of Police can control. But it does appear there are some groups who want to blame the police for all of society's ills. And the fact of the matter is we just can't police our way through funding mechanisms. We don't have the ability to do that. We can only work with what we have. And so from my perspective, as we were talking about earlier, I believe we need so much more in this city. And it just doesn't seem to resonate as much as I would like it to with some of our elected leaders until we can get a solid infrastructure with a lot of you know blue-collar working jobs where we can get people skilled in labor to go out there and fill those jobs, then we're going to have these pockets within our community that are very impoverished, and they're only going to see one way out. And that one way out is going to be through crime or other mechanisms,
0: and that's not good for us. Yeah, so I just ahead. respond to question or the comment that you post? I've heard the, you know, what about black on... That seems to be the argument whenever yeah, that happens. Yeah, that's what I hear a lot. But my only thing with that is, is first of all, I don't think it's apples to apples. I think that most people when it comes to violent crime probably most people commit crimes against people of the same race. It's the people that you live around, sure. the people in your ne- that's true for for white people, black people and any other race or ethnic Absolutely. group. So that's just that. Secondly, I think that I deplore black on black any crime to be honest, but especially black on black crime. But I think that what happens is with law enforcement, I think that there is there's a higher expectation. It may not be fair, but I think that people expect, number one, that law enforcement officers are professional. They have a legal authority power that most people don't have. So, you know, they can legally they could take a, a person's life right they're the We're, only entity that exactly can do that. so I think to say well they can
1: detain you as well they can the detain
0: election. you as well so I think to say I, I'm not saying that it's it's fair in all cases but I think sometimes what happens is when you have an, an officer involved shooting as you said the media plays it up people see that on TV and what they think is well that guy his job is to protect citizens and he has this gun and he has the legal authority to, to do it so I think they feel more passionately about that situation where, yep. they, where they feel like there's a person in a position of power who may be perhaps abusing that power. Whereas when it's sort of just Joe Small who got in an argument with somebody else in their neighborhood, it's kind of like, well, I mean, that's bad, but you don't have this guy whose his job is to protect and serve.
1: But I guess I just want to get real about it because in these backroom discussions, and I know that these discussions have happened all the way up at the chief level in Columbus, there have been discussions with black leaders, with black pastors in a room where they're presented with stats. And the stats say this percentage of our gun violence was from a black suspect. This amount of domestic violence was from a black suspect. These amount of arrests that we made this year were of black people. And those kind of conversations don't happen out in the public. They're done kind of in these back room, and I hear—I'm never allowed in them—but I hear from the people that are in the room that, yeah, we had a really frank discussion, and yeah, we have a problem that needs to. I've talked to four or five black pastors. I'm sure Jason has talked to a few as well who say, yeah, we've had those conversations in private, but they never happen out in the public. I asked that question of Jason because I think it would do both sides maybe some good to have that discussion out in the public. And I know that I've tried to write about it, but I got to be honest, I hesitate to write about it because what kind of story is that going to be? I mean, I'm going to get accused of being racist. Probably. Um, The paper is going to get accused of being racist and all at the end of the day, all I think it's going to do is just make
0: people go to their corners deeper into their corners and it's not going to solve it. I would also like to say that, again, even if that were true, even if 90 percent of black on black crime is committed by other blacks, that doesn't negate that. Agree. There still could be sure uh, misconduct by by police officers. But, if, I'm not but saying at some it point, is. you have to lay all the cards out as, on the table. I think sometimes you have people that sort of use that as an excuse to dismiss the whole argument yeah. altogether. It's, it's 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 almost like saying, "Well, until all black on black crime is abolished, we can't deal with these other issues." Sure. And. I think that's a ridiculous. Nobody says that about anybody else. That, that'd that be like saying, well, you know, we can't deal with white on white crime until all white people stop killing each other. Sure. Nobody would say that. So I, I think some some people who it's an easy way out, it's an easy way to pass the buck to just say, well, until you guys clean up your own house, we we can't. There's nothing we can really do.
1: I just want to make sure that I'm framing this right. It wasn't a hey, this is this. If you solve this, it fixes our problem. It's brought up in the arena of this is a factor that we deal with. And can you help us? Can you help us deal with this?
0: Which I think that's a valid point. That's a different argument. I wanted to give it some yeah. context for you. So
2: Yeah, so Scott, to, to your point earlier, a couple different things came to mind. And that is, when an officer is involved in a critical incident, like a police shooting, it is viewed different, I agree, than when somebody from the community or you know something else is involved in it. Uh, and that's fair. It should be. Uh, and in fact, we uh, are held to a higher standard. We have a higher training a high level of training. We are the only ones authorized by law to be able to take you into custody or, if need be, take your life. Those are awesome responsibilities are awesome powers and they come with awesome responsibilities and so the scrutiny on a law enforcement officer is much higher than when an action occurs within the city and for example if you're involved in a critical incident in shooting uh, a detective will come out and investigate the case and, and that's fair when an officer is involved in a situation the most seasoned and experienced homicide detectives come out and investigate the case if it's a, a, a death case where you know we're involved in a shooting and someone dies it's automatically presented to the grand jury which your case isn't so if someone deems you to be justified then that case just ends mine doesn't mine would continue on to a grand jury for review and in addition to that then there's a, an internal review that's not criminal it's administrative that goes to our firearms review board for them to determine whether or not i acted properly within the scope of my authority so even if i'm cleared legally i could still be in violation of policy and still be disciplined for that case uh and then there's a civil case that comes afterwards because on i can't think of a time it didn't happen when an officer takes the life of somebody there's a wrongful death suits uh, and then so for the next couple of years, I'm going to be under investigation where you're not. And that's fine because I took that, you know, when I took my oath. I said, I'm holding myself to a higher standard of conduct. And so it is not apples to apples. It, you're absolutely right in that regard. Uh, we're under much more scrutiny and we deserve to be because we need to be held accountable for our actions and we need the community support and trust to know that we're doing the right thing. So there is a difference. You're getting into a little deeper of a conversation about, you know, black on black crime, white on white crime. Again, like I said earlier, my prerogative is not to talk about what color your skin is. My prerogative is to talk about crime and to prevent or prosecute people who commit it. I think it is not right to say, well, clean up your house first and then you clean up your house. The fact of the matter is we need to prevent all crime, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, or anything else and prosecute those who perpetrate crime on our communities because it doesn't matter from my opinion if black person commits homicide against a white person or a white person commits it against a black person homicide is homicide it's criminal it's the meaning it's wrong it's hurtful to our community it has a negative impact and so we're gonna we're gonna go after it whoever it is there are a lot of discussions that are out there and i uh, lucas i think you said we never talk about race publicly now uh, we do they are they do get sensitive because it's easy to get diverted when we talk about anything right. related to re- to race but my prerogative as a union representative and representing the community in total is to say it doesn't matter to me we're going to human being deserves to be treated with respect And if someone's life is taken or crime is committed against them, what can we do to make life better? And that's what I was saying earlier about all the resources that are needed. But in order to get people in a position where they feel like they're a contributing member of society, they need to have the skills and education, the job training and an infrastructure to be able to get them to those jobs and take care of their families. When that happens, then we're all better off. And so when we start to lose people based on whatever factors, socioeconomic factors that are causing them to decline, that's what we need to work on. And then I think it's organically, then it takes care of the crime problem.
1: So the mayor recently announced a plan to diversify the ranks of police and fire. And his goal is to double it. And this all goes to the point of some statements that he's made publicly. More he's been, at times, I would, I think you would say he's been critical or unnecessarily critical of police i've heard those statements from you and but it goes to the point of your thoughts on that and also overall do you think that columbus police has a problem with racism no, I do not. So let's talk about the
2: staffing first. Uh, that's the first point that you brought up. The fraternal order, please, uh, does not have any say in who the division hires. We negotiate for members who are hired and make it off probation. That's where we kind of pick up. The division has the prerogative. The city has the prerogative to hire whomever they wish. And my only position is and has been is I don't care what color you are. I want to know that you meet the standards. I want to know that you are the highest caliber of person so that we don't have to worry about drug and alcohol usage so we don't have to worry about theft or corruption or we don't have to worry about your absenteeism or showing up like i want to know that whoever they hire meets the standards that are developed and they're going to come to work and be stellar officers that's what i want and i don't care what race religion color creed sexual orientation i don't care because if i'm in a shootout or something happens to me and i'm on the other side of a wall i want whoever is on that other side of the wall to be able to come through and get me And the same if I'm at a shooting scene and I know another officer is on the other side of the wall, I don't care what race, color, or anything else. I'm going through that wall to save my brother or sister that's laying over there. And that's what I want. I want the people who are qualified to get the job. Once they get the job, then I have an obligation to represent them. As far as doubling minorities within, I believe the mayor said, within 10 years. Yeah, I don't believe that's realistic. I think it's lofty, but I don't believe it's realistic. So whether he reaches 25% or 50% or... Whatever the case may be, but I believe right now our minority population within the division of police is somewhere around twenty percent of nineteen hundred officers. So you're talking about?
1: Are you including women in that number? Yes, too? yeah,
2: yeah, yes, I am, and I believe that's what he was talking about when doing the increase. And so let's just say for round numbers, because I'm fairly simple of math, let's make it two thousand. So twenty percent you know four hundred people. You would have to then hire within ten years four hundred more minorities just to double your number. And that doesn't include anybody who's going to leave within that time frame sure. who's already a minority. So let's say it's 500, right? So now we're up to like, let's just say a minimum of 500 minority female minority officers that have to be hired. We're only doing about 35 people in a class at a sure. time and about 10% washout. So we've been averaging about 50-ish, 60 people a year. You would have to almost have your entire sure. population. The, the numbers are just gonna be very difficult. I believe it's lofty, but not realistic.
0: What's a realistic number?
2: I would think you could probably 25%. That, that would be a really long You mean to go. increase
1: it to 25% yes. in 10 years? Yes. So move the needle 5% in 10 years?
2: A little more than that, but somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. It, it's very difficult. Listen, there is a police shortage. When you go out and look at the, the number of people applying to take the test to get hired in the division of police, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But the numbers are down everywhere across the country, not just in central Ohio, but everywhere in the country we're declining. Then when you look at the relationships and the things we're talking about on the news and the media and and others, you start to ask when you go into these community meetings or start to talk about have you told your children to be an officer and we get a lot of no's. Well, we're never going to get to that point if we can't build that community trust and relationship and then so we're going to have a problem recruiting for a while. But then on top of that, when you look at like Columbus in total versus our suburban jurisdictions who also are fighting very difficult to get minorities they pay significantly better than we do Columbus has continued to kind of slide backwards and we're in the middle of the pack and pay and benefits and so if I'm a young officer now and I'm looking at a couple of different careers and I'm looking at maybe going to Dublin versus going to Columbus and I look at the salary difference I'm going to Dublin
1: and yeah, plus you're dealing with big city issues
2: correct. So there's a lot of things that go into this mix that make it very difficult for the mayor to get to that number. And so I just don't think it's, uh, again, it's lofty, but I don't think it's realistic. And we're going to have to focus different programs to build pipelines to get young officers interested, engaged, and then employed.
1: That was awesome.
0: That was awesome.
1: (laughs) We we did some things in broad strokes, but we didn't even really get into the policy side of the issue with the chief and the mayor and things like that. So maybe we'll save that for a discussion next time.
2: Sounds great. I'd love to be back. So
1: thanks yeah, for being thanks here. Thanks so dude. much. I knew it was going to be engaging, and it was. And uh, we appreciate you being here on short rest and given all the things that are surrounding your organization this week. So thank again, you.
2: Uh, yeah, I'd just like to, again, thank uh, very much the community for the support. It's been outstanding. I'm proud to be an officer. I'm proud to be an officer in Central Ohio. And I am thankful for the citizens who have really stepped up to give our their emotional financial support to the two Westerville families.
0: As always, we're so glad you joined us for another episode. Please visit Dispatch.com. For for more information on these and other topics we cover also there you'll find all of lucas's work as well as the dispatches other podcasts and until the next time take a little time to see the other side thanks just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left